In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. Beth Miller is CEO of Executive Velocity, a top talent and leadership development advisory firm. She is a trusted executive consultant, Vistage Chairs Emeritus, and committed volunteer. She is certified in Myers-Briggs, Hogan, Business DNA, and is a certified managerial coach by Kennesaw University. Beth's insights and expertise have made her a sought-after speaker on hiring, leadership development, and succession planning. She is a frequent contributor to Entrepreneur Online, About.com, and Talent Culture, to name a few. Beth Miller is a graduate of Babson College and Harvard Business School OPM program. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, Beth Miller. Hey, Carla, how are you? Well, hello, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, indeed. And we're having some beautiful weather down here. Oh, that's nice. Everybody's having different weather. I heard they're up in Maine. They're kind of like, it's like Iceland about there right now. I was chatting with somebody uh, that was uh, in Texas yesterday, and they were having, you know, 75 degree weather in the same uh, conversation. So <laughs> it, uh, I guess it depends on where you're at here this time of the year. Yeah, it, it does. I, actually, I'm originally from New England, so I remember that kind of cold weather. That's beautiful. I know I lived in Michigan for a little bit, and I realized that just wasn't for me. I've told my family that's there. If I ever say I'm going to go back, just tell me because <laughs> I will move. I won't even last one winter there. <laughs> well, we're I'm so, in agreement there. Yeah, no kidding. We're so excited to have you on the show here today, Beth. So you know, you do some really interesting work, and we'll get into the talent management cycle, and you have an interesting background in regards to not only your education, but then you used to be a Vistage chair, and now you run your own firm. Can you share with us a little bit about that entrepreneurial journey? Well, um, it's it had a lot of um, curves to it. Uh, I actually <laughs> Does it started, always? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I actually started in, in big corporate America. Uh, working for DAC, Digital Equipment Corporation, which is no longer. I'm dating myself there. <laughs> and uh, I realized I didn't really like working for large companies. And so I, I went and worked for a much smaller company um, and got married. Actually, I, I met my husband through that company. And he started a um, temporary services company. So... Um, I, I have to say I wasn't the original entrepreneur in our family. Um, my husband, my husband has much more of an entrepreneurial spirit than I do. Well, it's uh, always always nice to have an entrepreneur in the family to encourage other ones to. Uh, yes, yes, and he, he is my, he's my biggest supporter. So that's awesome. So we uh, we we actually um, I was working at Cooper's and Librand at the time, and he convinced me to leave and start a consulting practice, a technology consulting practice. And uh, we ended up um, continuing down two paths of an accounting temporary services firm and a technology firm. And we sold the accounting one uh, and then continued growing the technology one until uh, 2002 when we sold it. I got very bored very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we tend to do that, especially yes. 
Yes, I, I thought it was going to be so cool to retire, but no. Um, <laughs> yeah, that lasts a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and volunteering was just not working. I mean, there was there was only so much volunteering I could do. So I um, I went through Leadership Atlanta back in 2006 and uh, met a gentleman who had been a member of Vistage um, for many years. And he, he was the one that encouraged me to look at becoming a chair. So back in 2006, I became a chair and immediately found my home. <laughs> um, it was, I wish I had found it earlier, Carla. <laughs> it was, it, all the light bulbs started going on. Yeah, that's and, a great organization. This yeah, is awesome. Yeah, I was I was there for thirteen years. Um, during those thirteen years, uh, I was also had my my executive coaching practice, um, executive velocity. So I started getting a, a lot busier and um, decided back in um, actually it was just a little over a year ago to step down from from Vistage mm-hmm. and. Um, Fortunately, the, the, the great story is that um, I had a succession plan in place. There you go. We'll talk yeah. about that a little bit. <laughs> I, um, one of my members had, had um, sold his company, and he ended up taking over the group. Nice. Yeah. So there was a real smooth transition, and um, the group is, is very, very um, – dynamic and, and uh, growing even in these challenging times of virtual meetings. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I've been doing virtual meetings a long time, but I'll tell you, I'm a little virtual meeting out uh, yeah. these days sometimes, and it's becoming the norm. And I know a lot of millennials actually prefer it because they'd rather not get in their car and drive somewhere. Uh, but I definitely like the face-to-face. Remember when we used to have to go someplace to meet people? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I I miss some of that, but I don't miss all of it. <laughs> I agree with you. I don't miss all of it either. And I really like being able to meet really unique individuals all over the world. Right. And that's really, really fun because there's talent in all over the place and unique individuals and things that you never heard of. And you're just like, wow, it's just endless, especially when you open up uh, all of the uh, borders, both state and uh, right. around the globe. It's really interesting. So share with us a little bit about, you know, some of the uh, pieces of your, what you call talent management cycle. I know there was like three different areas here and we're going to focus in on the succession planning, but can you go through each of those three areas and share with us a little bit about how they're connected? Because I think these get fragmented a lot of times in business. Yeah. So um, the hiring great people obviously is, is the, the start of the process. Uh, but if you look at my website, I don't really talk about particularly um, the organizational planning aspect of it, which some of that comes in through the succession planning. But hiring great people is, from my perspective, teaching managers how to hire great people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the recruiting aspect it's the aspect around um, the interviewing, getting the, the right fit, 
Oh, I love that. We teach that all the right time. And so, you know, don't try to fit a square peg in a round hole because right. roundness training doesn't work so well. Yeah. And, you know, right, exactly. You know, um, I heard somebody years ago talk about how, you know, you can teach skills, but you can't teach attitude. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's really what a manager needs to figure out during those those interviews is, is, is this person going to be somebody I want to see every day and interface with who's going to fit well with my team? Mm-hmm. Yes, very and, critical. Very yeah, critical. and I will tell you that the majority of the managers that I work with, they've never been trained on, on how to interview. Mm-hmm. Or they interview and hire people that are just like them when yes. the job is not going to you know, until the same skills potentially, maybe it does, but really uniquely having um, a, a, some system that is not dependent on just their feeling for the person or, right. oh, we got along, oh, you, you know, you were a winner at your last position and not thinking about the new position. I do see that a lot, especially with the hiring of somebody that's like you. Uh, yeah, and, I, and that's why it's important also to, to have um, assessments in, in, as part of the process uh, to take out some of that bias mm-hmm. in um, the interviewing process. Uh, there was one group that I was working with and um, they, they chose to assess all of their employees um, before starting to, to do the hiring as I'm um, using the assessment for hiring. Mm-hmm. And what we found was, just as you said, Carla, so many of the people had similar profiles. Mm-hmm. And, and it was causing problems. Uh, one, of, one of the things that we, we found was, there was a lot of spontaneity within the, the organization. There wasn't anybody that was super planned. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, well, you had a whole bunch of early adopters on the team. That's what our assessment identifies, Law of Diffusion of Innovations, 110 Years of Marketing Research about how people adopt new ideas. And a lot of times we find that so frequently, either it's a whole bunch of earlier adopters that are you know, agreeing and understanding and like cool new things and shiny objects. And then you've got the later adopters who like all the details and you might right. not have enough of them or not be spending the right work because they need something different. You know, that's the other piece is you have a great, great diversity within the team. And now you still have to have a plan by which you adopt new ideas and figure out right. what to do and then implement them. Right. Exactly. So, Definitely a good point. We see that so frequently. Okay, what's the next piece here in your talent management cycle? So um, developing leaders. And when, when I talk about developing leaders, it's, it's not just existing leaders, but understanding how to identify high potentials mm-hmm. because potentials, um, or I should say performance does not equal potential. Mm-hmm. That is and, very true. I saw, I saw a statistic like upwards of 80 plus percent of performers, high performers are not high potentials or like they're not showing the, the behaviors that would lead you to believe that they are high potential. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, and that also goes back into what we're talking about, the law of diffusion of innovations of adopting a new idea. Everybody adopts a new idea differently and you need 
it's interesting because what I see a lot of times, Beth, is we think that the leaders should look like something. And it's like, well, everybody's going to lead in a different way at a different time, but you also have to hand them the baton to be able to then show and give them a process by which they lead because certain individuals lead better by real set kind of, not just instructions because you have to have EQ and those other things too, but everybody leads in a different way. And I think there's a lot of uh, bias around what that should look like. I mean, you can be a great leader and be a complete introvert. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but yet, yeah. if you don't give them the opportunity to hand the baton, and they might be uh, uh, what we call on our scale improver, somebody that likes to tell you all the things that are going to go wrong. Well, if they understand about that, about them and their team, now they can get the baton handed to them because they have the information and the data and the process to be then and be trained as a good leader. I think so many times, Beth, we just check everybody in a room and then we go, Oh, you're the leader. And then we wash our hands and say, good luck. Let's see how that, let's see how that meeting turns out. That's nine times out of 10. That's why I'm called in to do coaching work. Mm -hmm. It's because somebody, a subject matter expert of some sort, whether it be a technologist or a salesperson has, has performed so well and now they've been given this opportunity to lead a group but they have none of the skills mm-hmm. and some some of them are ill-suited uh, for being a leader yeah well i think it's interesting i always love the one where the top performing salesperson gets named the sales manager i know <laughs> what, are the, what are people thinking we have a work with the leader or whoever's managing the team, right? They'll have a ton of great points, a ton of way of putting the training together, but it's typically a very different type of a person right. that is going to be in sales and a, a person that's going to manage and lead a sales team. I mean, exactly. I've almost never seen that work out. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that and, and develop those leaders and have a plan for talent development. And this is no longer an option, I think, Beth, because millennials are demanding it. Are they just... They are. Oh my gosh. They, they certainly are, Carla. They, that is, I hear that more times than not when I'm talking with um, business owners is, you know, these, these millennials, they, they want and demand uh, training. Yeah, they want a path to see growth, especially yeah. the ones that are high achievers. And if they don't see that path, then they're just so much more likely. And that comes out of, uh, you know, Shrum just did a study. 78% of the reasons why people leave jobs are uh, preventable. And the largest right. group of those individuals are millennials. They come around for two months. They're asked to do things that aren't really exciting. Uh, they're not really given a path so that they can see the future. And then right. they spend the next, you know, 15 months looking for another job. And that's why succession planning is so important. There we go. So let's move on to our third uh, little pillar here in the talent talent management cycle. Yeah. So succession planning, when when people hear succession planning, they often think of the CEO, business owner, that, okay, that individual needs to have a succession plan for him or herself. That's not what succession planning is. Succession planning is organizational wide. And it's, it's about making sure that you've got the right people in the right seats at the right time. Oh my and, gosh, I say that probably 10 times a day. <laughs> I think we were separated at birth here on this, uh, on this topic because yeah, that is exactly true. 
Yeah, and it, and it gets back to understanding the key positions in organization, uh, positions, not people. And, and then um, with those, once you understand the key positions, then you start measuring who's in those positions right now and what kind of development do they need um, to fill any kind of gaps and, and then also determine, do they have potential to get to that next level, which also means uh, more developments of some sort. Mm-hmm. And then, then it's a matter of conversations with um, high potentials. And these, these, are the, these are those millennials that you've got to lay out the path for them. Mm-hmm. And and get them to understand that if they want more responsibility, then there are certain things they need to do, whether it be development or taking on a new project. Um, it's got to be really clear. Well, and that, I in, don't, I don't. Go, go ahead. ahead. I knew you were talking about. I, I don't see managers doing that um, enough. I don't see them having those, those career conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk with a lot of, of leaders who are pretty consistent about having one-to-one meetings with, with their direct reports, but too often those, those meetings are focused on execution mm-hmm. and n- not enough time talking about the future of that individual in the organization. Yes, and I was just uh, gonna echo that is this drives so much of evaluation, it's crazy too. These are the intangible assets that, that you know, those that are acquiring businesses, uh, regardless if it's a private equity firm or, or whatnot, small business, um, that directly drives not only to your succession plan, but the valuation that you will have in your yes. business negotiate your business too. I mean, it's super important to understand the talent talent that you have, develop them and understanding all the positions. You know, you said that, I, I don't think I've ever had somebody say it in that manner of, of saying, analyze the positions. And then what you understand is this was the objective. Not that you can't play and fiddle with the type of work that needs to get done, right? Because you can do the art after the science, but then understanding those positions and then analyzing it from the strengths of your people, which makes absolutely complete sense because, you know, and and I like that you said positions and not job descriptions because job (laughs) descriptions are almost always absolutely horrible and they're created by somebody that doesn't do or know the job very well. So we kind of create it and then we hire somebody and then we tell them what the job's about. And then we don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have a process that we don't have bias. And then they end up doing a job that's even different from the job description. Right, exactly. Job descriptions are outdated the moment that they're published. Yep, you got it. That's right, Beth. And so tell us a little bit about and share with us your position on you're talking about the intangible that drives that tangible asset, which is the actual ability to sell your company uh, or, you know, transfer even a succession planning into the next stage if you would look at a business from a certain aspect, right? Yeah, so um, oftentimes when somebody is starting to think about selling their company, they, they generally do not look at the people aspect of it. 
Mm-hmm. They're, they're focused on the, the financials, um, the, the operations, the um, intellectual property, all of that. But the, the people aspect, they oftentimes ignore. Mm-hmm. And it does tie into the value of the company and the, the ability for the owner to exit. So a great example was, this was several years ago, um, there were two companies that I was working with, um, both privately held, small um, boutique consulting companies, but in different industries. One of them, the CEO had identified a high potential as his successor. And so he asked me to come in and, and start coaching that individual. In fact, that end, individual ended up joining Vistage as well. And this went on for, oh gosh, three, three years. And when it, when it was time for him to retire, he had basically already retired, meaning that he was in the office maybe once a week. Yes, the, the company wasn't dependent on him being there, nor and he could also prove that it was the team taking care of the customers, not his direct relationship. You see that quite frequently. It's like, well, if the right. owner left and you had a relationship with them for 20 years, okay, what is that retention going to look like if you don't have a direct contract? Just there's so exactly. many things when you pull back those layers of, you know, what that leadership makeup looks like uh, and being yeah. able to, and I love and consequently, and consequently, um, his deal was he got cash, complete cash up front. There was no, no uh, workout. Wow. So he walked away day one with all his money. You don't see that very often. No. Normally they try to, what happens is they get a hook. They say, you need to be there. You yes. need to transfer it over. And then what happens? They get disenfranchised and the owner, and then it becomes this really fantastic mess that Exactly. Uh, really could have exactly. just been worked out ahead of time if all of the the right succession planning questions happen because they're fine to let the owner go. There's just fears associated with that you have to overcome, right? So that, and you right. almost exactly. rarely see all cash. That's really great. Normally you see at least a percentage oh, of yeah. some type of a, a long-term payout, all sorts of ways, obviously you can negotiate yeah. a deal. That's pretty impressive though to say, here you go. Here's your cash. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was very, it was very impressive. But on the flip side, there was another company I was working with that had not planned at all. So much so. Which, by the way, is most because 90% of people sell their business because they're burnt out. Can you imagine yes. how great their operations look when they're burnt out? Yeah, yeah. But the sad thing about this was he had a heart attack and died. <gasps> Oh, no. And there was nobody, nobody that could step up. Mm, and that's that, so unfortunate. that company basically shut down in 18 months. Well, and, and that is such a big piece, Beth, in, in looking at a part of succession planning is your talent and your people. And then having these fail stops that when that happens, that person probably spent right. the better part of their life building something. Uh, and exactly. how for everybody involved, you know, uh, he probably had time away from his kids and, you know, yep. h- hard hours behind the computer or the phone mm-hmm. or 
all of those different things. And then all of a sudden, kapoof, uh, this yeah. amazing asset ends up, you know, just closing doors. And it just, yeah, it, rolls, it, was, it was magic. It rolls mm -hmm. downhill fast too when things go south and you have yeah. something tragic because both, again, the tangible and intangible. Tangible is, okay, we don't have that person. They have the answers, right? They were the mm -hmm. gatekeeper. And then the intangible is, how does everybody feel at that uh, company? Do they feel right. secure in their job? Are they going to actually stay after the owner passed? And so there's so many things that end up hitting you from so many places if you haven't not only planned, but let other people know that you've planned and let them be a part of the plan because people support what they build. Right. So it's not like this thing that happens behind closed doors. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think a lot of times yeah. companies, they don't bring their team along with them. The owner's too far out in front. And regardless if it's on purpose or not, you know, people support what they build. And if you allow them and you give them those career, uh, you know, paths and you give them the training and it's not that hard, you just have to make a space for it. Um, right. And, exactly. and I, that's the biggest thing is it's not just about head down, move forward. Those intangible things are so critical and will become even more critical with this 40 to 50 trillion in yeah. assets, the largest transfer in assets that has ever happened in the history of the world. And so there's really three different areas that those businesses can look at, either rolling up their doors, like unfortunately happened to that gentleman who passed away. Right. Uh, they're going to fire sale it and get pennies on the dollar for their company because they mm -hmm. didn't do enough work ahead of time, or they're going to do extremely well, right? And they're yeah, going to have all those I'm things. already seeing some of that far sales. Mm -hmm. Because well, yeah. people have... As you said, people run out of energy mm -hmm. and, and they're, they're just done. And a lot of business owners, I think, stayed in the game from 2008. You know, we had a huge financial crisis and they stayed in the game. And now it's just right. like, oh my goodness, you know, um, you get too tired. And again, 90, that's a shame that 90% of people uh, sell their company. And that's why private equity exists. Really, truly, what right. private equity does is they go in and they purchase a company or a group of companies, roll them in together and fix all this stuff. That's yep. what they do. And that's, and now what happens is those owners are leaving millions and millions of dollars on the table when if they just created the space for it, created that space yep. for hiring great people, created that space for developing their leaders and creating that space for succession planning. Um, mm -hmm. They could, you know, have, uh, have, uh, done really well with building those companies. I mean, my goodness, if you're going to give 20 or 30 years of your life doing it, you might yeah. want to layer in these pieces that really, really make a lot of difference. So, okay, Beth, how can our listeners get a hold of you? Uh, well, they can get a hold of me through my website, which is www.executive-velocity.com. Excellent. And they and, can check out your book that uh, was an ebook yes. and now has just been uh, in, printed in paperback. Is it on uh, audio? Where yes. can they find that? It's, uh, it's not audio, but it's uh, ebook and hard copy uh, available on Amazon. It's, it's Are You Talent Obsessed? Which you should be. Everybody exactly. should be talent Everybody obsessed. Be. Yes. <laughs> Well, you know, the smartest people get are lead others. You know, you look at that from an investor standpoint, right? One, you can be an employee. The other, you can be a business owner. And the other, you can lead other people to do those things so that you can go do more of what you do really well. So those individuals understand that uh, you have to be talent obsessed. So, well, Beth, it was such a delight having you on the show here today. I can't believe how many things you say that I say all the time in regards to being 
you know, uh, as you said, talent obsessed with your people. And <laughs> I, re I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, I've really enjoyed it, Carla. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.